Well, in the words of uh, Pastor Torn, it's good stuff. Good morning. My name is Mike. I'm the missions pastor here. And uh, this is our fourth Water's Edge Sunday over the course of a year. And if you've joined us along the way uh, this past year, we want you to know that Water's Edge Sundays express our commitment to be an effective and truly holistic model of missional generosity. Tying it back to the uh, original Water's Edge vision and Joshua 13, it's an invitation to jump in to the mission that God has for her church. Now, over the past year, we have been looking back and celebrating all of the incredible things that God has done throughout the world with Missions Central. We've been able to share some stories of of ongoing projects and people that we support. We've also wrestled through how God wants us to practice missions moving forward. You've heard us say more than once, and you will hear it again, that all missions is local missions. And that the local church is the most effective vehicle that God has established for long-term holistic transformation. It's one of the reasons we're so passionate about campusing home and away. And all of our campuses are represented in the lobby and are also gonna be hearing some incredible stories from Pastor Kell in a few minutes, specifically about what's going on in our international campuses in Indonesia and Cambodia. Last Water's Edge Sunday, um, we unveiled and unpacked these five global giants that God is calling us to slay home and away, and they're here uh, on the screen. And, and so what I wanna do is, is, is to illustrate how these giants work together. I wanna share a story. Sometimes we can be tempted to say, oh, those are isolated giants. But there is no greater context where these giants are working together to oppress God's people than in impoverished places. And so I want to share a story to, uh, to, to illustrate this. I met this family about a year and a half ago. This is uh, Timothy and Miriam and their daughter Ines. Timothy and Miriam, this is their second marriage. Obviously, you can see they don't look very happy. I didn't tell them not to smile. They're just, they just weren't very happy on this particular day. They're on their second marriage. Both of them lost their first spouses to HIV and AIDS. They are both infected with HIV and AIDS. Very sick, very poor. Most days, they are too sick to work. The days that they have the strength to work, uh, Inus actually has to stay home and watch the house because they can't even afford a $3 lock to protect their home. If they are working, it's just kind of odd jobs here and there. They struggle through deciding who eats when, who has to skip meals, How many days go by because they can't afford adequate food? They don't have adequate housing 
There's poor ventilation, no electricity, which only exacerbates their uh, tuberculosis and malaria that they had when we found them. And in fact, we got the call because a particular day that Ines was home, there were individuals in the community threatening to exploit her because her parents were gone as she is a vulnerable child. And when we found them, they were on their deathbed. And so if you put yourself in their shoes, ask the question, how might someone help me? And many of you are probably going, ah, I don't even know where to begin. I've never experienced that context. And I want you to realize that understanding how poverty affects a person, how the global giants work together to oppress God's people is the first step in realizing what kind of comprehensive solution is required. And so last Waters at Sunday, we talked about the root of poverty being spiritual, namely because of sin in the world, but the nature of poverty is relational, broken relationships. And so I wanna use this graphic to show you how poverty works. It affects every dimension of an impoverished person's life. It affects them psychologically. It torments them spiritually. I mean, this family, when we found them, they were without hope. And anyone without hope is a person without faith. They had given up. Where are you, God? Obviously, you don't exist. It affects a person emotionally most impoverished people, a lot of impoverished people are depressed because of their situation, physically with disease. Can you see this, the, the global giants at play here? In this story, we have spiritual emptiness. We have self-serving leadership in the form of the individual that sought to exploit Inus. We have multifaceted illiteracy. They didn't graduate from high school. They didn't even make it past the fifth grade. You have disease, you have poverty, and injustice. And so what we need to recognize that with the reality of this story, you have to slay the giants in their lives in order for them to live a hope-filled, healthy, and productive life. And when you do that, it changes everything. Transformational ministry works to restore these five areas and creates just and right relationships with God, with self, with community, and with the other. And this is their new reality. They feel valued, protected, hope-filled, joyful, healthy, loved, and accepted. And so what did we do with Timothy and Miriam? The first thing that we did was we moved them into uh, one of our transitional homes that is well ventilated, has electricity and access to clean water. We had to carry them to the clinic for weeks because they were too weak to walk. 
to get access to healthcare and antiretroviral medication. When they were strong enough, we enrolled Miriam into a tailoring program to learn a skill. We provided an agricultural skill for Timothy to grow and provide food for the family. Both programs have a very intense and intentional evangelistic and discipleship components to restore people's relationships with God and many for the first time. We slayed the giants in their lives. And this is them now. I didn't tell them to smile for the picture. They just felt like smiling for the picture because everything had changed. The, the chains of poverty had been broken in their life. Oh, by the way, Miriam's not in that picture because on that day she was in school. We provided a scholarship for her to go to school. Everything changes. Now, you don't have to go across the ocean to see poverty. According to an Ottawa Housing Next report, 9% of families in our backyard live in poverty. 8,000 children in our backyard live in poverty. 26% of our families are what's called Alice families, asset limited, income constrained, employed. Those among us who are working one, two, maybe even three jobs and fall further and further behind. And one of the driving forces behind this reality is the lack of affordable housing. This is a huge problem at home. You know, Many people think, well, it's probably a result of poverty. Actually, lack of affordable housing is a major contributor to poverty because these families work harder and harder. They cannot seem to get ahead. And if you lose your home, you lose everything. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a justice issue. And so Central is collaborating with four other uh, local churches and some local organizations to try to, to find a solution to this problem. We won't come up with a solution overnight because it's massive. But what we are united on is that as Christians, we need to lead the way to show that affordable housing is about people's needs and not the bottom line. Amen? This is a reality for billions of people in the world. No homes, living on less than two, some less than one dollar a day. Threatened by the five global giants that God is calling us to slay, home and away. You know, I think that's why Jesus had such an affinity with the poor. He spent much time with the poor. They are the object of his mission statement when he inaugurated his public ministry. In Luke 4, he's in Nazareth in a synagogue. 
he opens the scroll and reads from Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. To who? The poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. And this next line, many people don't know this, he changed the script a little bit. He decided to pull in a line from Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, the context is about a true fast, a fast that is pleasing to God. It's not about sackcloth and ashes. A true fast that is pleasing to God is to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to set the captive free. The context is impoverished and oppressed people. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this word oppressed is used all throughout scripture. Most of the time, it's in the context of people who are enslaved or impoverished. Psalm 103 says, God executes righteousness and justice for all of those who are oppressed. That, that word literally means to crush, to break into pieces. Poverty is something that happens to people. It's a force. It's a weight. And so this scripture shows us that God came to establish the rule and reign of God and to set free those who are poor, imprisoned, blind, and oppressed. And so you may ask the question, well, Wait a minute, if that's who Jesus came to seek and save, what about me? I'm not poor, I'm not oppressed. What does the kingdom of heaven have to do with me? Well, I can't say it better than Bryant Myers in his book, Walking with the Poor. He says, in God's sight, all human beings are poor. The non-poor have a different set of problems to be sure, not the least of which is that God hates idolatry, injustice, oppression, and any attempt to play God's role in the life of anyone else. Ladies and gentlemen, if we are indifferent as the non-poor, if we ignore the things that God hates, it is evidence that there are impoverished places in our hearts. He goes on to say, both the poor and the non-poor need to recover their true identity and their true vocation. Everyone is in need of transformation. And I believe with all my heart that though there is a disparity, a growing disparity between the poor and the non-poor, if we can reduce that, if we can cross lines, we will realize that we have so much to offer and we have so much to learn. You know what I see so often in my work? I meet with Many, many non-poor people. And you know what I find? A, a real and raw conversations about loneliness and lack of fulfillment in their lives. Working their whole lives to build this thing and for some reason it feels meaningless. I meet with so many people who are indifferent to the things that God hates. They ignore it. I mean, with so many people who are like, hey, buddy, I got enough problems of my own, let alone worry about someone else. 
And what I've realized more and more as I've interacted with the poor, that in so many ways they are rich and I'm the one who's poor. I'm the one who's impoverished. And I want you to know that God cares about the impoverished places in our lives just as much as he cares about people in impoverished places because he wants to holistically transform all of us. I think that's what makes people so angsty about the kingdom of God. It's like every day is backwards day. Did you ever have that in school growing up? You put your clothes on backwards, go to school, you eat and write with your weaker hand. I mean, seriously, listen to Jesus talk about the kingdom of heaven. Rich or poor, poor or rich, weak or strong, strong or weak, first is last, last is first. You want to gain anything? You got to lose everything. You want to live? You got to die. You want the kingdom of heaven? Become like a child, but I'm an adult. Become like a child. I mean, it's like a perpetual Michigan turnaround. (laughs) Turning left never felt so right. (laughs) Jesus turns everything on its head to give us the spiritual eyes that we need to see humanity, the world, the way God sees it, impoverished, in need of salvation and healing. And Jesus led the way and invites the non-poor into that story in many ways for our own transformation as he holistically met the needs of the poor and the oppressed. This is what God is calling central to an invitation to jump in to the good news of the kingdom of heaven. I want to invite Pastor Kelly up. He's going to share some stories of what God is doing right now as he invites us into this story. Thanks, man. Central, as many of you know, is a, our model is multi-site. We have what we'd call the mothership right here that meets each week in two services in this place. Uh, We have the internet, that there are hundreds of people viewing what is going on right now in the service, and we consider that also a campus. And then very, very, very soon, we will have another campus in Grand Rapids. Isn't that exciting? (laughs) However, there are actually uh, three more campuses. Those campuses we uh, would call international, but I'd like to also label them non English. Because when I say non-English, it's just that maybe a hundred yards from right here, we have a non-English campus called La Roca. It's Spanish. Everything that they do is in Espanol. Their services are geared that way. If you ever get bored, go right over there. Their music's powerful. I know because Lynn Bruce has a class right behind their music when they're warming up while he's trying to teach. It's a pretty exciting place to be. And then we have, we'll talk about in a moment, one of our newer campuses in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And then we'll briefly share with you in a second about Jakarta, Indonesia. Mark chapter 13, the disciples said, hey, Jesus, what's it going to look like at the end of the age? He said, it's going to get rough. You're going to be persecuted. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. 
But here's what I want you to do in the midst of your difficulties and your trials and when you're taken before judges and magistrates. I want you to take the gospel, he specifically says, the gospel to all nations. About that time, it was talking about empires, the Chinese empire, the Roman empire. Now it's 166 nations that we have a challenge in front of us. One of the last things Jesus said, he said to his disciples, I want you to go out and baptizing them in my name to all nations or people groups. So we have a non-English campus that is within 100 yards here, but at 9,000 miles, we have another non-English campus look. It's in a Buddhist country. It's called Cambodia. It borders Vietnam. And the largest city is Phnom Penh. And as we Google down to Phnom Penh, I want you to see how they worship in this Buddhist country. I want you to take a look at this picture of this woman bowing down before a shrine. And what you cannot see just north of her is a 30-foot golden Buddha. In this particular temple, there were two Buddhas that were 30 feet. And here she is bowing down, burning incense. It's not a criticism. It's just the way they are. And I wondered as I was watching this from a distance to not disturb her privacy, I wonder what that Buddha is going to say to her. I wonder what that Buddha is going to talk to her about her plan of life. Every day they come and they talk to Buddha. And every day they leave without any answers. And yet, in the midst of this, we have a thriving church, our campus, that speaks a Cambodian language with Pastor Pana, and here he is, just recently baptizing 28 young people that gave their life to Jesus right in the middle of a Buddhist culture. Do you know how many he baptized in 12 months? This young congregation, this pastor baptized over 60 people, and they're already 28 ahead of next year, and we got seven more months before the year ends. God's doing a work right here in this nation through you as a church, as you have prayed, as you have encouraged, and as you have given, you have made this possible. 10,000 miles away, we're in a place called Jakarta, Indonesia. It is the largest Muslim population in the world, and the greater Jakarta metropolitan area is anywhere from 10 to 15 million people and almost as many motorcycles, right, Greg? Unbelievable. We have a campus there that I'm not going to be able to tell you exactly where it is for security reasons because this is being viewed on the Internet. It's a Muslim country. Jakarta is like a city-state. Commerce, it's thriving, it's growing, it's the eighth largest economy in all the world. And in the middle of this, right on the edge of Jakarta, we have a campus, a non-English campus. It's called Panrango. But what's interesting about where this city is, the city that where our campus is was recently told to me by Indonesians that was voted the most intolerant city in all of Indonesia for non-Muslims, and yet 
We have a thriving congregation right there with Pastor Sandy, who's baptizing people. Last year, he baptized 16 people that stepped out of darkness and walked into light, and they're a thriving, growing congregation. One hour outside this city, they burn churches to the ground. One hour, they burn churches to the ground outside one hour outside his door, and yet they're growing, and they're thriving, and I've been in their worship, and it's almost as good as ours. It's only a couple of hundred people, but you watch them worship, and I'm thinking through that door, twice the bad guys have come in and interrupted their services. Twice they've come in and taken their Bibles and manhandled them, and I said, Pastor Sandy, I said, don't you ever worry about every Sunday? Maybe it could be, even though it's been 18 months. He said, Pastor Kelly, all we're going to do here, we're not going to worry about what they're doing. We're going to worry about what we're doing and what our God is doing, and there's such a joy because where there is poverty and where there is persecution, the gospel of Jesus Christ thrives. It thrives. And that's why we have the privilege because you are sending us, you are allowing us to go, you are praying for us, and you are giving to us. Right on the edge of this city that's on the edge of Jakarta, you can't tell where this city starts and Jakarta ends because this city has 1.8 million people in it. There's a place called West Java. It's like a state. And there are 34 million what is called Sanda tribe. They call it the Sanda tribe. It is the largest unreached people group in all of Indonesia, right at the doorstep of where Pastor Sandy and the campus, our non-English campus, our international campus, is thriving and growing. Right there, we are planted right in the muck and the mire and the privilege that we have to show the gospel and share the gospel. One of the, one of the requirements, and I tell you, it's a, it's a very long bedding process before we embrace the campus. You have to find the right leaders. He has to share your DNA. A great commission is, is, a, is a broad, broad umbrella, but under that great commission call that we all have, they need to look like us, and they want to look like us. They want to do ministry like us. Their worship is like us. Their DNA is like ours. Their discipleship, they preach the Word of God. But one of the things that we require, and in January, we will do a, an official greeting with Central that now on social media and everywhere you go, it will be Central now in this particular city, Panrango Church, that will now be part of our, is already part of our network. But we didn't want it to go out just yet. We wanted to have an official greeting, and that will happen in January. But one of the things that we ask them to do, we ask each one of our campuses, we want you, Indonesia, Phnom Penh is getting there. They're, they're further behind than Jakarta, but they're getting there. It's a young congregation. They're winning people left and right, but they've got to come together and get some discipleship thing going, some small groups going. Sandy, Pastor Sandy is already there. I said to Sandy last fall, I said, Sandy, what we want you to do, our, four, our, uh, excuse me, our water's edge is this particular Sunday. So you know what happened? I sent him a message last night. I said, Sandy, you're doing Water's Edge the same Sunday. They are 12 hours ahead of us. I got a message this morning at 6 o'clock in the morning from Jakarta. It was 6 o'clock in the evening there on Sunday saying we just did our Water's Edge. We had record attendance. Two people gave their life to Jesus in our service today in our Water's Edge, and they gave the equivalent of 50%. They gave $500 to Water's Edge to be given away in Jesus' name, not for them to keep. That's half of what their budget is. They're getting missional generosity. They're getting it. They're doing it. And we as a church 
are partnershiping like a big brother with this congregation because you're sending us, you're allowing it. Look, not every one of you is going to go to Jakarta. Not every one of you is going to go to Africa. But some of you may go to downtown Holland. Some of you may go, that's fine. But we can all pray for God's anointing and we can all give and we can all invest because the sower and the reaper go hand in hand together. So as you pray and as you give, it's just as valuable as us taking mission teams or Micah or myself and others going. There's a, there's a statement, it's anonymous, I wish I could tell you who it was, I, I don't know who, who said it, but it's resonated with my heart for a long time, and I want to share it with you before I leave. There's one thing worse than failing before man, and that is succeeding in the things that don't matter to God. One thing worse than being a failure before men and that is being successful in the things that don't matter to God. And what matters to God is his kingdom. What matters to God is his word. And what matters to God are the souls of men and women and boys and girls that come in to his kingdom. Thank you, sweet church, for praying. Thank you for going. Thank you for giving. good stuff, huh? Well, we're not done. I have about five ministry updates that I'm going to throw at you in about five minutes, so there's going to be a lot coming at you. From January uh, 2010 to December 2014, we partnered with World Hope International on a village partnership project in Bombalibana, Sierra Leone, West Africa. And so that project ended in 2014, but when that partnership ended for us, it meant that a local village partnership committee were trained and empowered to oversee the projects and programs that we had invested in. And so ministry continues, even though our partnership came to completion with World Hope International. We've helped to promote leadership development, hygiene training, and education, uh, cholera prevention, spiritual growth, and improved farming techniques. As a result of our contribution, 36 latrines were installed, 350 patients were treated for disease, nearly 40,000 pineapple seedlings were planted. We showed the Jesus film, 14 were baptized, and church attendance in Bambalibana is at an all-time high of 250, just to name a few. God has done incredible things through our partnership with Bambalibana. Another partnership that we've enjoyed is with India Gospel League, and, and these projects are, are before my time, but I, I had an opportunity to go to India this, this past March and meet with India Gospel League. I was told that uh, we spiritually adopted the Bhojpuri people in the Bihar region of North India. Well, there's 33 million of them. So we've got our work cut out. If we, Central Wesleyan, have spiritually adopted these, this whole people group. But it's incredible the model that India Gospel League has embraced. Uh, 50 pastors are enrolled for ongoing training. In one year, 
75 new churches were planted among the Bhojpuri people. 25 women enrolled for ongoing training. 200 youth trained for children's ministry. As you can tell, our partnership was focused on reaching this unreached people group with church planning. We supported 15 monthly pastors. And in one year, 300 new believers were added in the church and were baptized. Let's bless God for what he's done through Central and IGL. Now you'll often hear me talk about widows and orphans as objects of God's affection, but there's another people group that God includes, and that's the alien, the foreigner, or the refugee. Right now there are 21.3 million refugees in the world today. 4.8 million fled Syria alone. Last year more than a million individuals sought asylum in Europe. About 70,000 refugees were resettled in the United States, including just 1,600 Syrian refugees. This is massive. And how is the church to respond to this type of situation? Well, before I share how we're going to respond, I want to share some perceptions that people have about this crisis. 86% of Protestant pastors in the U.S. affirm that Christians should care sacrificially for refugees and foreigners. But only 25% say that their church is doing anything to support refugees. 44% of pastors acknowledge there is a sense of fear within their congregation regarding refugees. We have experienced that here at Central when we talk about refugees. Maybe this statistic will dissuade some of that fear. Over half of resettled refugees are Christians. Did you hear me? Over half are Christians. 39% from the Middle East are Christians. But regardless of that, our faith compels us to love those of all faith traditions. 57% of evangelical Christians say that the arrival of immigrants to their community presents a threat or a burden of some sort, while only 42% say it presents an opportunity to introduce them to Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, we have got to change that statistic. It is an opportunity to show and share the love of Jesus Christ. And so as soon as we get the word from Bethany Christian Services, Central will be co-sponsoring refugee families. We've had some difficult, yeah, I hear some cheers, come on. We've had some challenges with housing as I shared prior, but you know what? God will work it out. We've got people, we've got resources, we got love. God's gonna figure it out. And so Bethany Christian Services is out in the lobby, um, and you can learn about the whole process of how a refugee comes to be resettled in the United States. Uh, last Christmas, we learned that Jesus himself was a refugee. And whatever we do to the least of these, we do to him. Whew, 
take a deep breath. Hurricane Matthew took the lives of 1,300 people in Haiti. And many fear a cholera breakout in its aftermath. So we want you to know that we've sent uh, $10,000 to World Hope International for Haiti relief. They're going to be sending thousands and thousands of hygiene kits and water filtration systems. So we celebrate that. Last thing I'll say is there's loads of serving opportunities we want to invite you to jump into God's mission at Central, and so we have a space in the lobby that provides all of the serving opportunities that we have right now home and away. We invite you to interact with how we're tackling the global giants through our campuses, through serving, through Bethany Christian services, through Celebrate Recovery, and invite you to jump in. Now, you may be asking, how do we pay for all this? That short update, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I want to invite Pastor Craig to come share about how God makes this possible. Thank you, Mike. I'm really pleased you guys love the foreigner, let me tell you that. Um, <laughs> and my personal experience is that is uh, really true. But Mike, you asked a great question, how do we do this? You know, one of the concerns that uh, people understandably had as, as, as God was working and led the leadership in the year, uh, what, 2000, 2001 to, to build this facility was, wait a minute, aren't we actually going to be investing more in bricks and mortar and less into people? And the answer is no. That's not what has happened. Over the last 15 years, since we've all had the privileges privilege of sitting in this room, over $23 million has been invested in people outside of these four walls. That is 24.2% of non-capital income. How do, how do we do that? We do that firstly because people leading with Pastor Lynn make sure that we are really well run and that our budgets are kept and used as frugally as we possibly can. We don't overspend. We do everything that we can with excellence, and a lot of your time goes into making sure that that works. But we, because we do that, it means that we can take portions of our operational budget and we can invest that into mission. So every time that you give your tithes and your offerings, we're facilitating outreach as a result of that. So we do all of this that Micah has talked about because we manage our money really well and we invest out from that money into the ministries that you've just talked about. But there's something else that Central did. In 1981, Central had its first world annual missions conference. And many of you would be around then. You remember what happened. As the, the pastor and Pastor Paul would look at the scriptures, there was this realization that, that God was challenging the, the church on the basis of passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 to actually go over and above. And so as a congregation back then, and ever since then, people have asked God what it is that He wants them to do over and above their regular tithes and offerings. Many pastors will wrongly say, many congregational people will wrongly say that when it comes to giving to the church, we need to pray about what God wants us to give. Well, that part is right. But what isn't 
right is the way they take 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 to make that case. Because 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 specifically addresses the issue of how much we invest in missions over and above our regular tithes and offerings. How do we pay for everything we're doing? Because we've got people in our congregation who take the scriptures, especially 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 seriously, and ask God, God, what do you want me to do over and above when it comes to missions? You can read Romans chapter 15. You can read many other passages that address this issue. Last year, or about 18 months ago, we did a series three, three-day DNA, and it talked about that a little bit more. And so you may be in Central today, and, and you may be thinking, you know what, I, I'm really liking the church, but everything I see here, it, it, I, I wonder where the money goes. And I want to give some of you who, who don't give anything a challenge today. In a few moments, we're going to take an offering, a benevolence offering, as I've already said. It's what we do on, what is it, Sundays. And we're going to take that offering, and we are actually going to take that offering and use it 100% and invest it into the lives of those who are in need. So maybe you're here today and, and you don't give regularly to Central, or maybe you, you are here today and you're faithful with your tithes and your offerings. I want to challenge you, especially as year-end is coming, to really think about what God wants you to do, both today, regularly, and towards the end of the year. Because Central is a generous church. We're an over-and-above church. And so, if you're here today and you don't give a dime, let me just suggest to you that what is that Sundays are a great place for you to begin. Let me suggest to you that marking your check and saying missions on the reference line is a really good place for you to begin. Because we guarantee that everything you give, when you mark that as missions, over and above for many of us who are regular with our tithes and offerings, and for those of us who are just taking the, uh, dipping our toes into, into giving, everything you give, when you mark benevolence, when you mark missions, actually goes to meet the needs of people outside our four walls. And so in a moment, Mike is going to come back up. The, the team are going to come up right now. And, and they're going to lead us in a song. The ushers are going to come, and, and they're going to, Lead us in a free will offering over and above. We should be under no obligation to give at all because this type of giving is done when God has laid it on our hearts to give. But since we've introduced this new tradition in a sense of connecting what is at Sundays to missional generosity, especially through benevolence, we just want to give ourselves an opportunity to respond. And of course, response is not simply through giving, is it? You've heard an awful lot today. You've heard how we have needs in our children's ministry. There will be representatives from our central kids at the information stand. If God is working on your heart and saying, I can't do much, but I can invest an hour of my time a couple of times a month, that will help us minister to children, many of whom this is their first experience of a faith community. At the same time, many of you may say, you know what, Sunday mornings are not the best time for me, but I sure could get involved in, in the needs in our community. I wonder what the needs are. Then one of the things you can do is just go outside into the atrium outside and just spend some time getting to know those ministries that will be able to do an awful lot with a little bit of your time. We're intentional about this essential. We do not want to over-program in here because when we over-program in here, 
It basically means that ministry that needs to happen from Christians out there is minimized because we're monopolizing your time. Church, we don't want to monopolize your time. We want to inspire you here to realize that God is at work and then encourage you to step in to what God is doing outside. The purpose of the church is not to sit. The purpose of the church is to send. So as the ushers come, as Micah leads us in this song, creation sings, just make your response. For some of us, God has spoken, and we're going to write, take out a check, we're going to take out some cash, and we're going to put it in the plate towards benevolence. Some of us may be writing checks from here on in, marking it for missions over and above. But at the same time, there is a response that we need to make to the mandate of the, that God has for the church. And that is when we stand and leave here, we live for Jesus out there. So ushers, you can come, and as they do that, let's give over and above for the continuance of his work in the lives of people that need it.